Good afternoon, everyone. This is Made in EDH. Today, I'm Kayla. And I'm Chris. And today is episode eight, I've Got the Blues. Ooh. Well, we have the blues for. Uh, Are you excited for this? The legendary blue commanders? Um, I'm impartial. Oh, impartial, huh? Yeah, well, where white kind of had a clear, like, issue base, I kind of noticed blue also had a kind of a trending theme, but it still seems a bit more balanced than white. Yeah. I guess we'll figure out what that theme is. Um... I honestly think blue is a little more exciting than white, personally, but we'll see what we come up with. Um, I guess I'll go first. So Sounds good. The first card I had is from an old set. Um, do you remember Urza's Destiny? Uh, yeah. Great set. Um, so I had Rain Academy Chancellor. And she is a two and one blue. She is a human wizard. One, one. Whenever you or a permanent you control is the target of a spell or ability controlled by one of your opponents, Uh, You may draw a card, and if Rain Academy Chancellor is enchanted, you may draw another card. You know, it's funny. Right Mm -hmm. off the bat again, we share the same one. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I had her on my list, too. (laughs) I love this card because usually you get, if a permanent you control is targeted, blah, blah, blah. But this includes you as a player. So I thought that was really cool. Um, Well, it does say um, it's a spell or ability opponent controls that targets your things. Yeah. But that doesn't stop you from doing like cantrip auras, which are very good in blue. Mm Mm-hmm. Which you just dump on her, and then if somebody tries to target remove her, then you get the draw a card, and since she's enchanted, you get to draw another card. So this is kind of like a weird, like, Voltron build, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Which is well, not something you see in blue very often, for sure. No, definitely not. And she has such a cheap casting cost. Like, I feel like she's going to be targeted, and a 1-1 is very easy to remove. But she just keeps coming back, and I feel like that's such a great aspect of this card. Yeah. I think she's really good. She's a good low cost. And really, people, I don't think, are going to want to use removal because then it gives you draw power, which kind of makes it kind of ideal for a Voltron, almost, for that reason. So. Uh... Yeah, it's it's a really good card. I saw it and I was like, this one's kind of spicy. I like it. 
because it's definitely not one you see very often either. Nope. Um, <laughs> especially being an older card. So. Yeah, some of the older legends aren't very, like, they're not, like, some of them are, like, really awesome, and then other ones are just kind of like, eh. <laughs> but this one's one of those, like, hidden gems that nobody's playing. Yeah. I really miss the look of older cards, too. Like, the background, it kind of had a little, a little more flavor, I feel like, on the border. And they're bringing that back, too, with Modern Horizons. So that's interesting. Yeah, that and, like, the uh, the most recent um, Time Spiral remaster, they did that as well. Mm-hmm. Which was nice. And they know that we, we're, we're slaves to those old borders, that they're so pretty. Oh, they are. So, uh, want to take another swing at it? <laughs> we'll see if we have two in a row. That'd be kind of <laughs> a, a shock, I think. Sure. So you want me to call out yeah, the next one as well? Okay. Yeah. So, next card is also an old card. I had Empress Galena. Um, do you have this one? No. Okay. I did not. So, she is one of my favorite commanders. Um, she is a 3 and 2 blue merfolk noble. She's a 1-3, and she has the ability pay 2 blue, tap, gain control of target legend or legendary permanent. And you know, if you're playing commander, there's always some <laughs> sort of legend in play. Yep. You always have targets. Yeah, it's definitely one of those... It's a very blue thing to take your opponent's things. Which really is always kind of fun, but really angry. can make people kind of <laughs> upset. Yes, angry. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if they wasted most of their turn trying to, to get their like commander out. Like If they're like at 7 drop and you just go, I'm just going to take that. You don't mind, right? Yeah. I guess the drawback with this card, though, is if you play it as a commander, like people know you're going to take their commanders, so they have a bit of preparation, but it's definitely a deterrent. Well, the only negative side is, when you have this as your commander, they know you have counter spells because you're going to want to protect it. Yeah, true. <laughs> Which makes it even worse, because then you're just like, oh... They are 100% just going to be dumping removal spells to keep it alive. Yep. And it's got the Merfolk tribal, and that's a really great tribal, so... Yeah, that's just like icing on the cake. Uh, with it as being as solid as it is, being in a tribe that's pretty well supported also makes it so you could splurge into a tribal like kind of deck without having to do much. Yep. And you've played this one a few times with us. I thought she was kind of funny. Yeah. What's great about 
the times I've played her is somehow Jonathan has always gained control of her. So that's just ironic. <laughs> yeah. Those games are always crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have another like ballpark like weird one if you're done with talking about your empress there oh yeah go ahead um this was one i looked at and i really had a hard time considering it because i was looking at a bunch of legends at the time but i was just like this is another one i'd never see and i was thinking i was like why don't i see this this is one of the most cheesiest blue cards i have ever seen <laughs> it could be because of the high mana cost but I'm going to tell you about this thing, and it's really hilarious. Which is um, Hakim Loreweaver. He's three colorless, a blue and a blue. Legendary creature, human wizard. It's from Mirage, so it's kind of an old set. He's a 2-4 flying. Has this act two activated abilities. First one... Blue, blue, put target creature enchantment card from your graveyard onto Hakim Loreweaver. Treat that enchantment as though it were just played. Use this ability only during your upkeep and if there are no enchantments on Hakim. And then his second activated ability is pay two blue, tap, destroy all enchantments on Hakim. That is a strange card. <laughs> it is very strange. And I looked at it and I was like, this is a weird card. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, wait a second. It's not strange. So, Kayla, did you catch that it was only two blue mana to put a creature, an aura card from your graveyard onto him? Oh, that could be dangerous. So, with blue also being one of those colors that has very prevalent loot effects, which mm -hmm. is um, you draw a card and then you discard cards. So you want to be discarding a bunch of auras into your graveyard. Particularly very high-costed ones. And then you can just attach it to Hakim. Now, here's the funny thing. Because his activated ability... Um, only works on your upkeep. Um, here's the funny thing too: you can stack his ability and get multiple auras on him. So if you're sitting on like six mana, which could be potentially where you could sit since he's a five cost, you could potentially get like three auras out of your graveyard and attach it right to him because the clause is stating that. He, you can't activate this ability unless um, he already has an aura on him. But since mm -hmm. you've activated it three times, you'd get all three. So, <laughs> um, correct me if I don't understand this, but you pay for the three auras and they just sit on the stack, so they're not on him yet? Correct. Is that correct? The okay. ability is on the stack. So that means 
you go flop the first one on, and then the second one goes goes well. He didn't. The second one um goes off because it says use only during your upkeep and if there are no enchantments on him. Um, but technically, um, it wouldn't let you activate the ability if he had an enchantment. So if you stack the uh, activate ability. I'm pretty sure you're allowed to put like multiple auras on him. Man, that could get out of hand really quickly. Because there is a ruling here that says you only check if he has no auras when activating the ability. You can use the ability multiple times in response to get multiple auras on him this way. Mm. So you can stack it if you have that mana sitting. On your upkeep, which, you know, you're just untapping, so you do have that mana. Yeah. And to note, one thing that came to mind when I saw him and I was thinking about it, I was like, what's a big, dumb aura spell that you could throw in this deck that you could just dump into your graveyard and then cheat onto him for two mana? And all that came to mind was that infamous Eldrazi Conscription. <laughs> That's literally what I was thinking, too. I was like, man, an Eldrazi Conscription for two. Wow. Like, of course your opponents are gonna know it's coming mm -hmm. when they see it go in. But, like, if you hold up, like, a loot effect on, like, somebody's end step, you can just, like, loot it out and then go to your, like, upkeep afterwards and then just make him stupid big with Annihilator. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Annihilator, just early game, that just takes people out. Yeah, I don't imagine you're getting Hakim out very early because he's 5 mana. But I just, I just could not believe that... Okay, first two cards were... T like, we talked about, like, kind of already, minus the Empress Aura blue cards theme decks? Yeah. Maybe it was an older thing that they used to do and then they just kind of went away from it. But it's very interesting to me. I kind of liked that idea. Mm -hmm. Maybe someday they'll go back to it because I think that's a really unique like play style for blue. Because then they have to kind of balance their deck on that theme. Which is kind of neat, because it's not one that you I'm, see very often. I'm just kind of thinking of more auras you could put on him. Um, there's Infinite Reflection, I thought of. So That is an interesting one. Um, you would have to get something like Mirror Gallery, so then yeah. you just have a bunch of Hakims in play, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> I was thinking, so you make copies of Enchanted Creature... Um, well, actually, non-token creatures you control enter as, enter the battlefield as a copy of Enchanted Creature. But yeah, with something like Mirror Gallery, that would just... <laughs> out. Yeah, like, you could make a ton of him and just make a bunch of auras. Um, there is one aura I was thinking about that was a really good exploit, and it's in blue, so it's one I thought of. 
which is, um, give me a quick sec to pull it up so I can get the exact wording, which is Ordeal of Nalia. The Ordeal cards, do you remember oh, those at all? Oh, yeah, those were great cards. So this one's just two, it's a colorless and a blue. Um, it's Ordeal of Fossa, Enchantment Aura, Enchant Creature is its wording. Whenever a enchanted creature attacks, put a 1-1 counter on it. Then if it has three or more counters on it, sacrifice Ordeal of Fossa. And when you sacrifice Ordeal of Fossa, draw two cards. So now, with how he's built, this aura already sacks itself. Hmm. And you could continually, on your upkeep, reoccurring this ordeal and continually draw two cards every time as long as somebody doesn't like remove him you could continually like just put out this two mana like value engine yeah I was like that's cool because it does just check if you have two, uh, three counters on it so once you've hit that third counter and then you do it again then it would be four and Boom, it would go away again. You draw another two cards. This is like on almost a better curve than Divination, and Divination is a very played card in the format. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And making definitely. a card that's generally not seen very much, like more playable, is, I think, great. Oh, so there was another type of enchantment uh, or. That was really good, and that was the Umbras. And there's Octopus Umbra, so it's a 5 cost. Um, well, actually, it's 3 and 2 blue. Uh, it has Enchanted Creature has base power and toughness, 8-8, eight, eight, and has whenever this creature attacks, you may tap target creature with power 8 or less, and then, of course, it has the Totem Armor. So that's another great one. Yeah. I think it's great too because he also is a um he also has flying, which means he has that like evasion too. Mm-hmm. Um I was I was thinking about something kind of funky though. What's that? Um, so there's this old pipe. Um, this old creature thing. Um, they're called Lissids. I don't know if you're hmm. familiar with these. I am not. So. There's, um, they're creatures, basically. But um, so I'm going to give an example. Stinging Lissid. It's a colorless and a blue summon creature Lissid. So they're basically like le uh, leeches, kind of. Um, it has this activated ability of a colorless and a blue. Tap it. Stinging Lissid loses its ability, becomes a creature aura, like enchantment aura. That reads, whenever enchanted creature becomes tapped, Stinging Lissid deals 2 damage to that 
creature's controller instead of a creature. So, like, if they... If if a creature and opponent, if you tap this to an enemy's creature, if their creature becomes tapped, um, it uh, <laughs> it deals them two damage, and then you can pay one blue to end the effect and turn it back into a creature. Hmm. Yeah, um, that's interesting. So it's a creature that basically becomes an enchantment aura. And there's like a bunch of them. Um, there are three in blue. One of them gives flying kind of redundant to run in the deck, but it's still an interesting card. Um, there's another blue one that you just take control of somebody's creature. It's basically like a mind control. Hmm. But it's like it's an it's an annoying thing to deal with because they can just pay like one of the colors to end the effect if someone tries to like I'm gonna naturalize it. Nope, it's not a creature it's not an enchantment anymore, it's just a normal creature. You're a naturalized now fizzles. <laughs> and they have an artifact one, but yeah, it's it's just something to know that's kind of out there that people don't probably know about. That's an, that are some interesting cards. Yeah. I wouldn't put the Lissets really on him. But, you know, they are something that you could, like, include in the deck to help annoy your opponent. Mm-hmm. For that deck. Because, they, especially, like, the mind control Lissid, that one, your opponents kind of have to, like, they're going to try to remove that one probably faster than Hakim, so... That's kind of the yeah. idea I was thinking of with the lizards. <laughs> Make them look at something else. <laughs> Get the attention away from Hakim. Yeah. So, uh, what's your number three? Because that was two for us. Um, let's go with all right, so I had Padim, Consul of Innovation, and mm. he is a three colorless, one blue. Um, he's a Videlkin Artificer. He's a one four. Artifacts you control have hexproof. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control the artifact with the highest CMC or tied for the highest CMC cost, uh, draw a card. That's kind of cool. I've tried building a Padim deck. Every time I tried to, I just, I just could not think about how to like efficiently get her going. Mm. I just always struggled trying to play the deck. But she's really cool. I just have never... I haven't wrapped my head around her quite yet. Yeah. I think there's a lot of options that you could have with that sort of deck, but might be a little hard to make it efficient, yeah. Because it's like... It, it seems like running Mana Rocks is, like, important in that deck. Like, all... Like, most of the, like, mediocre, like, 
um, like the four cost ones. Like those ones are like ones you need to be running because if nobody has a four cost artifact in play, you're drawing a card. And you kind of want to play your deck that way, or you're just making sure you have the biggest artifact in play. So, you... so it's just like, do you run X artifact spells in that deck? Like, sure, that's where you want to funnel your mana, but like at the same time, it's like you almost need to be running things like Brood Star, where they're huge artifact creatures with a huge CMC, so no one can outdo your CMC. Yeah. But I do love that like draw effect, and I feel like that's a big part where you need to be focusing on when you build the deck. Mm-hmm. And since it's like such a huge like importance in the deck, it's like your turn one soul ring needs to be hitting into like a two drop artifact on turn one. Like that's a must. And then on your turn two, you play an island, you play Padim, and if nobody has a two drop artifact on your turn three you've drawn you're drawing two cards yep like you paid three mana divination with ramp (laughs) basically almost i mean it's one card not two but still the effectiveness of it it's pretty strong and i just i just cannot like without spending a lot of money like, if I had, like, a Jeweled Lotus, maybe, like, you could crack her out faster and then get it going quicker, but... Yeah, four mana, it's, it's a little costly. It's a little costly, but it's, like, you need to build your deck in that way of you're getting her out early. Mm-hmm. Because early game, not a lot of people have those high drop artifacts out yet. And that's where you're going to see the most draw advantage. Yep. And that's kind of where I've always had a problem with the deck is that's where you need to go. But she does not really support you doing that very well. It's it's just hard. Because it's just like, once she's out, all she's doing is producing one card more. But all it would take is in that turn cycle, going back to your turn, if one of your opponents plays a higher CMC artifact, and now you're denied that card draw that you worked very hard to get. Yeah. That's that's the only issue I see with her, is it's not hard to deny her. And a lot of people do play artifacts. I do like her, I just... I still just don't know how to wrap my head around her to make her more effective. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Because um, I've really I... struggled when I tried to build this deck. So I have not tried to build a deck um, with this commander. Um, so I, I could see those issues. I guess with artifact decks, though, there are plenty of really big artifacts you could get out there. You know, six-cost artifacts. And there's a potential for your opponents to be running six-cost artifacts as well. So that's kind of the hang-up there. But 
if you're running an artifact deck, I think potential um, draw power is really good. Yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, I was thinking about it. Now, if you just pure, play this as pure Tron, which is kind of like... It, I feel like that's more of what the vibe is. Like It's almost like you don't want blue cards unless they're an artifact blue. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking with it, too. But, like, I was I just was thinking while you were talking about... You know, there is a good artifact archetype that would go really well in this deck, and maybe that's where I should have went with instead of the direction I went with, which was... um. I should have gone more affinity for artifacts. Yeah, because those are, those great. are always expensive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is an actually really good way to make sure that you're always on top with artifacts because those are generally stupid, big, expensive cards. Yep. <laughs> and you're wanting to play artifacts anyway, so. Might as well play the most biggest artifact thing out there. Yep. So. Hmm. That is very interesting. What'd you have for number three? Number three, you've seen her. This is a card. I I know how to crack it. I just need the right cards for her. <laughs> um and she's been a card I've been looking at for a long time. Um, and it's Kaho Minamo um, Min Min Historian. Sorry if I butchered that name really horribly. Um, she's a human wizard, 2-2, two, two, two colorless, 2 blue. When Kaho enters the, the battlefield, search your library for up to three instant cards, remove them from the game, and then shuffle your library. And then she has X-Tap. You play a card with converted mana cost X removed from the game with Kaho without paying its mana cost. So, you just pump your deck full of instants, and that's how you play this deck. Notably, you include like things like Nexus of Fate, because it has that clause that it shuffles back into your deck after you cast it. Oh, yeah. Because when you cast these spells from Exile, they do go back into your graveyard. So Nexus of Fate is one of the more stapley cards in this deck of you grab it and then you basically just start taking extra turns. <laughs> and since every time she re-enters she can grab another instant out of your deck, you can potentially really make your opponents very happy and continually just take unlimited turns with Nexus of Fate. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> because all you have to do is have a Conjurer's Closet in play, and you flick or Kaho out, grab Nexus of Fate, do it again. Oh, jeez. And... 
So, like, the trick with getting Nexus on her without her getting instantly removed is on an opponent's end step before your turn. One of the instants you need to have on her is something that flickers her or bounces her to your hand, but flicker would be better. Yeah. And there are a, there are a few blue flickers that are instants that you could run, and it's because she searches out your deck for these, it's not hard to really get her going. Mm-hmm. And what's worse about it is it's an activated ability, so you know what that means. <laughs> You're running Hearthstone and Training Grounds, which reduces the cost of her ability. Which means you're making that spell effectively cheaper. So Training Grounds reduces it by two. Um, I believe Hearthstone also, I think, reduces by two as well. Hmm. So you reduce, like... I think Hearts, yeah, Hearthstone's t uh, two, but it's everybody. Like, everybody's activated abilities of creatures they control are reduced by, like, one, I think. Oh, not one. Yeah, it's one or two. Let me clarify that real quick. So I can actually get the wording correctly, but... Yeah, you run things like that, and then all these spells you're putting on her are just that much cheaper. Okay, it's a reduction of one. Okay. But with most of these reduction ability cards, they generally say you cannot drop it below one. So if you put yeah. a... If you have Training Grounds and a Hearthstone in play, pretty much everything that's four cost and under is still one mana. Which is really good. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's still pretty amazing. And it's really not hard to get your head around her deck build. The hardest part about her deck, though, is the fact that she does not have haste. Which means you can't cast these spells right when you play her. So she's, yeah. the she's only vulnerable the first turn you play her. And depending what you put on her is what tells your opponents if they need to spot remove her or not. Which is her big drawback. Yep, definitely. <laughs> it's like you need to give her haste ASAP, like lightning greaves, um, swift foot boots. Um, you also need to give her protection. So, any amount of giving her shroud or haste hexproof is important, because haste is not a blue thing. You have to go with an artifacts that can do that. Hmm. And like I said, lightning greaves and foot foot boots are the two big options here. Of course, you're gonna want a lot of mana rocks because her activated ability does not specify a color, so you actually don't have to pay blue into these spells. You could just run mana rocks and just dump out these big spells. Which is what what I was looking at and was like, wow, <laughs> this deck unchecked can really get out of control. 
especially if you don't know instants that are uh, turn spells. Which yeah. I don't think there's a lot of, but there are a few. But yeah, I've always loved her. I have not built a deck around her, but I, I keep like brainstorming how to break her. <laughs> and it doesn't seem to be very hard. I think the hardest thing is trying to protect her. Yeah, definitely. You gotta find a way, even if it's counter spells, but... <laughs> yeah, and um, I think, like, if you're playing her, the counter spells you're running are, like, rewind and, like, unwind. You know, the yeah. ones that whenever you cast them, you untap lands. Because if you have, like, training grounds in play, um, your rewind is net gaining mana on somebody else's turn. Mm-hmm. Which is huge. Like, giving blue the effectiveness of being able to do that is huge. And because of Strixhaven, of course you'd run the... Um, the Archmage that draws you cards every time you copy or cast the spell. That just goes in here. Now, here's the here's the one thing um, I'm going to say. Um, normally, with activated abilities of creatures, you generally run Lucianus Bracers. You do not do that in this deck. That is a one thing you do not do at all. Hmm. Because her activated ability specifies a spell with the exact CMC. So if you go and grab her, if she comes into play and she grabs three instants, how often are you grabbing two instants that have the same CMC? Mm, I'd say fairly often. I mean, yeah, with counter spells, but like, do you want to cast both at the same time in blue? Nah. <laughs> that's kind of where it's like that's that's where the weird line is. It's like, do you run illusionist bracers, or is it actually a dead card because you have to re-equip it to make her effective because you're bouncing her to get her effect to go off more, which means you have to have to spend mana to attach illusionist bracers onto her each time. And you're just losing mana doing that each time. Mm -hmm. And since it's blue, there's not really a way to reduce the activated ability of that, really, except maybe power artifacts. But why would you put a power artifact on a, an equipment? <laughs> so, I just, I think Illusion's um, Bracers could be potentially good. In some ways, but I just do not think it goes in the deck on her. Like, maybe if you have other creatures with activated abilities that you can exploit, maybe. But that's a card I would say do not put in this build, because I don't think it's good enough. So... Uh, that was my three. We're going into four now, right? Um, let's see. Yep. Uh, do I go again, or uh, do you want to take another one? Um, I suppose I could go next. 
So my next one um really artifact heavy again. So I had Arkham Dagson. Hilarious. <laughs> Did you have that one? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so he's a three colorless, one blue. Um, human artificer. Two two. He has the ability tap and then target artifact creatures. Ah, let me start over. Target artifact creatures controller sacrifices it. That player may search their library for a non-creature artifact card, put it into the battlefield, then shuffle their library. So this is great for yourself, you know, getting out your big artifacts. You can run a ton of MERS in your deck. Just really cheap artifact creatures. But if you really need, you can um, target your opponent. I know that's a bit more risky, but if you're fairly certain they're not running an artifact-heavy deck, then that's also an option. Yeah, and you know, the clause that it has to be a non-creature artifact means that it's generally the artifact they're grabbing isn't going to be something that's really bad unless they're an artifact deck. Yeah. <laughs> because that means they're not grabbing Blightsteel from you doing this because it has to be a non-creature artifact. So what are they grabbing? A mana rock? So um... I had to think about this card and you know it's a really... This is what I call a dirty thing to do. What's that? So you you play Micros, you get an Onithropter because it's a zero drop. Yeah. Somehow get him out like turn two, so, like Soul Ring turn one Onithropter Island. Um, second turn Island, get him out, or like I don't know. In a in a world where dreams come true, you turn one Island Onithropter Jeweled Lotus. Play him. Then turn two, you crack your honor thrafter and you get a chromatic orrery. And then uh. you you just say start making people unhappy. <laughs> Cause like, well, if you don't do the chromatic orrery thing, you can always grab Microsynth Lattice, so then oh my opponent gets a big stupid creature into play. Well, let me just make you sack it, and you have to go get a non-creature artifact from your deck now. Yep. And most of the time, if they're not an artifact deck, they're not going to have a lot of really powerful artifacts, except maybe rocks, mana rocks. They're not going to really have much else. Mm -hmm. So he's like a really weird, like, you're running all those, like, awkward artifact cards that, or and blue cards that turn cards into artifacts so then you can spot remove pre people's creatures which is hilarious <laughs> um i mean path to exile is a played card in this format isn't it yeah typically <laughs> so like if you path the eggs this is like this isn't as good because they can grab any non-creature artifact but like i said if they're not an artifact based deck 
they're probably just grabbing some mana rocks and yeah sure they're net gaining mana for you getting rid of their creature but that's is that really any more different than a path to exile true and it's cheaper you just tap it i mean yeah they might net gain more mana than what a path could do but and of course you do have to be careful you don't really want to be doing that to some like graveyard uh recurring deck but then again, do you care if you run Tormad's Crypt anyway in your deck? <laughs> Very true. And just, like, exile their graveyard? You know, So, I... there's a lot of neat things to do with him, and I thought he was really cool. And that's another one I don't really see a lot of. Maybe just not in our area, but... Yeah. I think he's really cool for what he does. Um... I thought of something else that would go with this as well. I just thought of it. Uh, you could be running equipment, like go equipment heavy as well. Oh, wow. True. You get some really good uh, equipments like into play pretty easily. Yeah. The only thing then... I kind of think you need to be running is you need to be running artifact tokens, like creature artifact tokens. So you can just keep abusing his ability and getting out, like, really big, dumb artifact spells. Like, like I mentioned, Cormantic Ori, Microsynth Lattice. Um, I don't know. Oh, you could run Golem Foundry, actually. That would be really good in this deck, I think. There's some pretty easy ways to get artifact tokens, so... That's yeah, there's Titan Forge, Golem Foundry. Uh, those aren't like creature artifacts, so like you could search them out with like the potential early game. You grab something out of your deck. Yeah, but I still think like his turn one being like a Chromantic Ori is such a huge play. Like, not turn one, but like turn two. You know. Mm-hmm. No, you could actually do it turn one if you had the most dreamest, dreamiest of hands. If you had Onothropter, Jeweled Lotus, Island... Like, no, no, we're not going there. That's a lot of cards. Ignore <laughs> me. Anyway, he seems really pretty overpowered, and there's a lot of ways to get artifact um, tokens. So, it's not like he's hard to build. Yeah. I feel like he's... He, see, his kit is a lot better than Padim's. Yeah, I agree. Because it's like, at least with him, if he sticks around a whole turn, you're pretty much going to be cheating something. And I think he gets spot removed pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Because I don't see how in any table is like, no, that's not going to be a problem. There's nothing that's big and bad and (laughs) with artifacts, there's nothing you could potentially grab. Yeah, because, like, the potential, you don't know what's in somebody's deck and if they're running this as their commander, it's like, well, you know they've got something planned. Yeah, I think something you can always expect in the deck is a Mind Slaver, though. Oh, man, yeah. And um, and like recurring artifact cards, like 
there's so many in blue that you you could easily build this deck and it wouldn't even be like it wouldn't be hard. And unlike Padim, like you can it's not hard to like get things going fast with him like it is with her because it seems like she kind of is like I want you to ramp with rocks and play affinity for artifacts and I will give your artifacts hexproof if you do so which is nice but I think his is a lot faster to get going than hers yeah And she's weaker against other artifact decks. Him, if you see somebody else playing artifact deck in on the table, you're never using his ability on them. You're only using it on you. Yeah. So like he doesn't even have the drawback of having to suffer against another artifact deck like Padim could. That's a very good point. Because Padim, it kind of turns into an arms race of who can get the bigger artifact in the play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love him. And I think it's funny we both had that one on our list, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're going to have a bunch of on our shared lists. Yeah, I got so that, that feeling that was, like, as well. what, number four for us? Yep. So what we'll do you see have if we for... share any more. I think we might share more, which is kind of, I think, going to be kind of interesting because white we didn't we shared like two in white. Yeah, it was. And we've already shared the two place. in blue. And we're not even halfway yet. So I think that's kind of cool. What do you have for number five? I have an odd one. Ooh. This is not one you would probably ever see. I want to crack it. <laughs> Which is Lanessa Zephyrmage. Okay. Three colorless, a blue, legendary creature, human wizard. Has an activated ability, X blue blue, return to our creature card of the converted mana cost X to its owner's hand. And has this secondary effect called Grandeur. Discard another card call named Lissa Zephyrmage. Target player returns a creature he or she controls to its owner's hand, then repeats this process for an artifact, an enchantment, and a land. Um... How are you going to work that? So I thought I was glad you talked about that. <laughs> so, Kayla, how infamous is Blue about copying creatures? Well, that's pretty bad about it. So, good, I mean. <laughs> uh, let's talk about let's uh, talk about a few Spark Doubles, Shakashima, uh, yep. Helm of the Host. Ooh, Any number of those host. things are included in this deck. Orvar, of course. Um, so what you do is you clone her right off the bat. That's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. So you want to get her into play. 
and then you spark double her, and then you want to find a way to put her into your hand. Okay, there's plenty of return target creature to its owner's hands in blue as well. Yeah. So you return her to your hand, and then you discard her. Now, if you have multiples of her in play, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you just need one other. <laughs> yeah. But you're playing some sort of clone deck, which means um, you're going to probably be cloning your opponent's creatures too. And you're going to be playing a bunch of things that just like bounce their thing, make a copy. Because there's that card, which is actually um, uh, supplement form, I think is what it's called. It's a uh, four colors, blue, blue. Return to our creature to its owner's hand. And then you create a. Uh, a token that's a copy of it. So that's an instant include in this deck. You just bounce her to your hand. Oh, look, I created a copy of her. I'm going to discard her. You have to return these four things to your hand. Wow. For six mana? That's pretty decent for a bounce. Yeah, definitely. And then there's like, there's a bunch, there's like a couple, there's like a land, I think. That you can pay four mana, put your commander from your um, command zone into your hand. I think it sacks itself doing that. So like you run mm. Crucible of Worlds to grab it back. And then you just keep grandeuring people with it. Jeez. <laughs> it's a really hard build. It's not very effective, but I thought it was a fun build. Yeah. And, like, that much return is devastating. The fact you have to return a creature, an artifact, an enchantment, and a land, that puts mm -hmm. people back turn. Especially in like, Commander. Like, that is a massive hurt. Like, I don't think there's a situation where returning four things is not devastating, especially when at least two of that is a resource. Because a land and an artifact, and most of the time an artifact is a mana rock. So there's not, there's not like very many times where this isn't going to devastate your opponent. And then you have her in play as well, which means she can also bounce other creatures. So like you can grandeur her. And then bounce a creature. So you get like double, you can bounce two creatures and then make that player bounce an artifact enchantment and a land at the same time. Wow. <laughs> like, it's not too bad. And it says return target creature card of the convert man cost X to its owner's hand. So if you don't pay, if you pay zero for X, you can bounce any token that has no mana cost value. Mm-hmm. Or mana value. I mixed the CMC and mana value there. So she I think is pretty solid. Um of course the win con is you're cloning your opponent's things or getting something kind of big and dumb and blue into play. Yeah. And copying the heck out of it. 
I think is the big thing in the deck. So, I thought she was kind of an interesting deck build. I think it would be really tricky to build her, but I think if you could figure it out, you could have a really strong deck. Because, like, her grandeur effect, um, if you discard her, because of how Commander's wording goes, oh, my Commander's going into another zone, um, I'm going to put it in the command zone, but I don't know if it would work that way. Um, I would just need to get some, like, rules text on that. Uh, yeah. If you, because I know die triggers happen still when they go, but what if you discard it? Um, if it gets discarded into another zone, I know you can put it in the command zone, but does that does that technically work with grandeur? I would need kind of like a judge ruling on that. And if that's no, you can't. You would not be able to trigger the grandeur. But the question is, like, you know, you're still discarding it, so I, I don't know. It's kind of in that weird, like, we're getting in that gray area of it could work or it could not with that grandeur effect, so. But I thought mm -hmm. if it does work, it would be a really fun deck, and it would be a really tricky deck for someone to build if they wanted to challenge of building a very odd deck that people would probably be like, I want to see how this works, but I don't think it's going to be very good. I don't know. <laughs> how do you feel about that? Um, yeah, I feel like it'd be really tricky. You're relying on a lot of combos, hoping you draw a specific combo. But I think if you could make it work, it'd be really... It'd be a funny deck to see work. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, how about your number five? Um. Let's see. So, I had Orvar, the All Form. Yeah. And did you have that one as well? I did, so you're going to have to share right. it after this. <laughs> so, it is the Cthulhu of magic. Well, that's probably Merit Lage, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> it is a three and one blue shapeshifter. It's a three, three. And it has changeling. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, if it targets one or more other permanents you control, create a token that's a copy of one of those permanents. When a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard this card, create a token that's a copy of target permanent. Orvar is really sweet. Yeah. There is a lot of fun things you can do with Orvor. Yeah, there's a lot of ways where he just goes off. I think if you see an Orvar in play, like if you're playing against it and it's in a command zone, I I don't want to be like one of those people It's like, this is something you hate out immediately, but for every time I've seen Orvar stick around, it almost always combos in a turn or two. Yeah, it's bad news to keep Orvar out, definitely. 
So like if you play this deck, you're one you're wanting to do a lot of target permanent spells in there, but you also need counter spells or hexproof to make sure you keep your Orvar alive. Because yeah. it's going to get spot removed. Very quickly. Yep. <laughs> I don't even think you really need a hexproof for Orvar. I was just thinking about it. I was, if you just like someone goes, I'm going to swat and remove it, you go, well, I'll just target him. I'll create a copy of him. I'm going to kill the original and keep the, co- the copy. Yeah. Keep your spell fizzles. That's a good point. I didn't think about that one. That actually makes Orvar even that makes it even harder to deal with because now he's just he can just copy himself to protect himself. Yeah. Because you still end up with a copy of it. Of course he's susceptible to board wipes, but that's why you have the counter spells. Yep. <laughs> but I think he's a really solid deck. Um I don't I don't know how much we need to dive into this. You're running all those like Target permanent, uh, change the text of it to something else. Oh, look, I targeted a thing, now I create a copy of it. So, you're running, like, all those in this deck. You're running a bunch of one-drop cantrips or two-drops that let you draw a card and continually to do things. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward, I'd say. Very solid, very easy to get into. So, Kayla, what do you have for the next one? Um, Next one... I will go with a kind of a group hug one. It is um, Braid's Conjurer Adept. And she is a two colorless, two blue human wizard. She's a two-two. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player may put an artifact, creature, or land card from their hand onto the battlefield. Ooh. So it's show and tell, basically, um, but on each player's upkeep. Yep. I think um, there's a funny thing that they printed recently that goes insanely good in this deck. What's that? Which is Sphinx of the Second Sun. Oh yeah, that's a that's a good point. <laughs> like, sure, you want to play Braids. Braids is a lot cheaper to get out than Sphinx of the Second Sun, but you want to get Sphinx of the Second Sun out first before you play Braids, almost. So then people can't deny you your Braids trigger. Yeah. Because I think that happens a lot when you do this. And I think braids, like, if you're playing braids, it's a nice group hug thing, but most of the time people aren't very nice when they do it. They usually go, okay, um, on my end step, I'm going to get rid of your braids before your turn. Yeah, very rude. <laughs> like, I think I think that happens a lot when you play this deck. Is that it's it's going to, people are going to exploit you a bit, because that is the drawback. Yep. That's why I was like, well, you got to get Sphinx's second son out 
pretty quickly, more so than Braid itself. Braids herself. Yeah. So, so I think she's number... really fun, though. If you can build your deck around her. Yeah, I just like the group hug. Yeah, and then you're also cheating out, like, big stupid things. Like, I don't know, any number of Eldrazi, Jonathan's favorite with Annihilator, um, <laughs> any big Trani cards, Omniscience. This is probably why people kill Braids before it gets back to your turn, because there's a reason you're playing Braids, which is cheating yeah. out big dumb things. <laughs> Notably, if you can get a Braids out and nobody gets rid of it on your turn cycle and you have a Sphinx of the Second Sun in your hand, then on your upkeep you play Sphinx of the Second Sun, and then on your second main phase you get your second upkeep, and then you grab something else as well. Yeah. That's pretty great. <laughs> so I think she could potentially be seeing more play. I just think at the moment, I think she gets hated out really quickly. Yep. Um, What'd you have for six? I'm going to mention a card here. I've had the pleasure to play against a very well-tuned version of this deck. I thought... I have to mention it because it was a pain in my rear. Not going to lie. It was a hard deck to fight. <laughs> I lost to it every game that I played against it. But I liked it. I thought it was a really cool deck, though. Which was Urza, Lord High Artificer. Two colorless, two blue, human artificer, one four. Lord High Artificer enters the battlefield. Create a 0-0 colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. He has two activated abilities. <clears throat> Sorry. I had to sigh there for a second because these activated abilities are so powerful. <laughs> First one being, tap an untapped artifact you control, add a blue. Second, pay five colorless mana, shuffle your library, then exile the top card until end of turn. You may play that card without paying its mana cost. Wow. So it's Mind's Eye with... I can tap down all my artifacts for mana. And I almost think it's better than Mind's Eye. Because it's one mana cheaper, and it's stapled on a card that basically lets you tap down all your artifacts for mana. The deck I went up against with this um, build was he was getting out Urza turn 2. In both games I played against him, he got Urza out turn two. Wow. <laughs> and was starting this Mind's Eye effect like turn three and four pretty consistently. There was a ton of zero drop artifacts in there that he just plays. So like he dumps out his entire hand almost consistently. Um, pretty much in the early turns, and then he just turns value. Which is mm -hmm. just insane. It's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty 
fast. This yeah. build is crazy. Like after seeing how powerful it is, I'm just like, wow, this deck gets out of control so quick. Um, there's a few ways you can stop it, but then again, it's in blue, so that means there is counter spells, which makes it even harder to deal with. So, I think, like, this deck is very powerful, and you should never, ever underestimate Urza. Um, yeah. This is an amazing deck. I went up against it twice, and I have to say the power level of it really was pretty awesome. <laughs> I got thrashed by it both times I played, but I still <laughs> enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that's a scary card. <laughs> yeah, and it's... And it's in the color, and there's a lot of combo plays with this deck. So, and like you, I mean, you don't really want to include, like, you could include like train grounds, and well, you might want to include Hearthstone, but that might be too expensive to include. But that could reduce the activated ability of him. With also, train grounds is kind of the same way. But Training Grounds, I think, is, might be a little bit better than Hearthstone, but Hearthstone's also about the same, because Hearthstone, you can tap it down for mana with Urza. Mm -hmm. But if you have both in play, in, in a dream world of horribleness, uh, you could potentially be doing this mind's, <laughs> this mind's eye effect for two mana. <laughs> Any spell for two mana, or like grabbing a land, because you can play lands with it too, because it does say play and not just cast without paying its mana cost. Yeah. It has both <laughs> in the phrasing. So if you haven't played a land for the turn, you can play a land. And if you haven't played, and if it's not a land, then you can just cast it. So this is probably the strongest blue commander out there. And he's played in modern, so that just means that this card is just very powerful. It's going to be strong. You see it. Um, this is one of those things of, okay, how much time do we have before this gets out of control? Mm. <laughs> it's definitely one of those decks where it's a ticking time bomb and you have to deal with it quickly. And correctly. So. <laughs> Kayla, what do you got for seven? Um, let's see here. Do, 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 do. I had. I thought this one was really weird for the blue um i guess for the blue identity it has uh -oh. so <laughs> i had jalyra master polymorphous uh she's a three and one blue human wizard she's a two two and she has the ability pay two and one blue tap sacrifice another creature 
Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non-legendary creature card. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Interesting. So, I'm guessing you're doing a token build and you're getting some really stupid, big, dumb creatures like Blightstow Colossus in here, right? Yeah, and all the leviathans and tasty things like that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a pretty sweet deck build. It is a little odd, but like Polymorph was a thing that Blue used to do and they made they made her to kind of like a little bit as an homage to her. And it's like it used to Polymorph used to be like a pretty it was an early mechanic. And then they made like mass polymorph, which does it to every creature you have, not just one. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting things you could do with this. Um, mm -hmm. One of the notable fun things you could do is like Day of Dragons and like get rid of all your creatures that way and then get rid of all your dragons <laughs> and then with a mass polymorph and just polymorph like your big, your big creatures into play that way. Yeah. It's a very odd, like, deck. And it's a very creature-heavy deck, I think. Like, big stomping creatures with a bunch of, like, creature tokens. Which isn't hard nowadays to do in blue. It still is a little strange for blue, which I appreciate. Yeah. It, it, this, like, um... Almost like a chaos warp effect, but it's it's really just a polymorphic effect. Mm -hmm. It's more of like a red thing, so it being in blue is very odd indeed. But it was in blue first, technically, and then red took it away, and blue hasn't really been able to steal it back. Yeah. <laughs> So what are we on? That was six, right? No, no, that was yeah. your seven, right? Uh, yeah, that was my seven. Okay. So that means we don't have very many left. Uh, I'm going to name one from a more recent set. Uh, this set came out a year ago. Around no, not a year ago. It was it was a little bit more than that. Which this is from um, Theros Beyond Death. Thrix the Sudden Storm. Three colorless, blue and blue. Four five, elemental giant. He has flash, flying. And has this awesome little keyword at the bottom here. Spells you cast with converted mana cost 5 or greater, cost 1 colorless less the cast, and can't be countered. So, you got all these big bomb spells in this deck, and your opponents cannot counter them if he's in play. How do you feel about that deck? Um, I think the Flash works really well with that as well. So, 
you're yeah, ramping and... up your big spell, and then it's trying to get countered, and then you flash him in. Yeah, and it's like you're holding up this huge mana, which isn't necessarily the best of things to be doing. But mm-hmm. if nobody does anything, you can flash him out, and then your big spells that you could be holding onto are now cheaper. Yeah. Which kind of makes it that you're playing like you're playing somewhat control just to keep things in check while you're also waiting to get him into play in an opportune time. So I think he's pretty solid. I think he's a little expensive, but he also reduces like other expensive spells you might have in the deck. And then also make it so they have to get rid of him if they want to even consider countering it. Yeah, that's that's really solid. Like, getting Omniscience in for one mana cheaper is a big difference. Mm-hmm. Even if it might be small, <laughs> that's pretty huge in some cases. Yeah, definitely. So, that's what I have for number seven, so... Uh, I guess we're on to number eight, then? Yeah. I think, um, based on this, I don't think I have number eight, because I think I shared one. I shared, like, three with you so far, and my count, I'm, I have nine and ten left, and I had ten cards on my list. So, um, you do eight, and then... We'll go into nine afterwards. Uh, I got cut out. I got a phone call. Oh, you didn't hear anything right there? Nope. I was just saying, go ahead and share your eight. I'm not going to share an eight because I've shared three with you so far. And I just realized that um, I have only two cards left and we have eight, nine and ten to go. Which means I'm just going to skip 8. Oh, okay. And go 9 and 10. <laughs> Unless you share with me again, and then it might just be 10 for me. Yeah. So go ahead. Okay, so... I guess this is my 8. I had Baral, Chief of Compliance. What'd you say? Uh, Baral, Chief of Compliance. <sighs> Not on your list? <laughs> yes. I thought so, honestly. Oh, uh, I guess I'll have to see if my number 10 is different. <laughs> this has so, been an interesting list. We've been sharing a lot of legends. What's that tell you? Right. <laughs> that there's not much variety in blue because some of them are just, they're just too good to ignore. Yep, exactly. Um... So he is a one colorless, one blue, one three human wizard. Um, instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. Whenever a spell or ability you control counters a spell, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. I've played against the Baral deck, and these decks are heavy in control. Yeah. Well, 
it basically tells you to play counter spells <laughs> right on the card. Yeah. You know what's even worse about this too? Now that you like reading through it, I was like, man, he's so powerful, and it's like it, it counters anytime you counter with a spell or an abil way ability as well. <sighs> so you made a commander that's that's effective with counterbalance that lets you draw a card for doing nothing. Yeah, pretty much. And I know how much you love counterbalance, Kayla. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember when you tried to pack the negate and I countered it because I had him uh, land on top of my deck and it, CMC is technically zero? Yep. <laughs> so, and in that instance, if that had ha if I had had Baral in play in that deck, I would have drawn a card and discarded card afterwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's only, like, if you have Brawl in play, if you have Counterbalance turn two, and then you play Brawl turn three, now your opponents have to be like, oh my gosh. Either he can top that counter me, or he holds a counter spell. So I think this deck is a bunch of just, like, it's a lot of, you're playing a lot of instants and sorceries, so you're playing, like, those things, like, Metallurgic Summonings, I think, Swarm, not Swarm Intelligence, maybe not that one, but like any of those things that make you like creatures from playing those instances and um, sorceries because you're playing a Spells Matters deck. Mm hmm. So I think that's, um, I think that's kind of where you go in this deck in the direction. But, like, if you're playing Brawl, like, your opponents aren't... If you leave mana open, any of cards in hand, I don't think your opponents are going to try to play spells as much because they're going to suspect you have counter spells. Yeah. Because even if you don't, you just having untapped mana with Brawl in play and passing turn is such a, like, it's such a <laughs> threatening thing to do. Right. That but you play so him stressful. turn two, if he doesn't get killed right away on turn two, your turn three, you leave mana open and you just pass the turn. Like, you could have a four-cost instant draw card spell that you're wanting to play, but you, like, you could have a counter spell, but you also just want to hold that threat. Yeah. And I think that's, like, the big thing about him is he's an intimidator a bit. Mm -hmm. Of oh no, he's got mana open. What are the number of things he could do with open mana at this point? So, I think he's pretty solid. I think he's pretty powerful too. Yeah, pretty strong and very. Uh, cheap to get out. Yeah. So two mana commanders are always very solid, generally, I think. Mm -hmm. They're rarely bad, I think, um, depending on the color. But yeah. most of the time, their legendary creatures that are usually two mana are generally pretty good. Yeah. And he's insane. Like, <laughs> instant sorcery, spell reduction, and 
and basically benefits you a loot effect if you control somebody. Like, it cycles dead cards in your hand from from dealing with a threat. Like, it's like, I can spot remove and then get rid of a dead card and potentially get something better. Yeah. Like, how is this two mana? Like, this card is so good. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm on to number nine. <laughs> Let's All see right. if your nine's not my number ten. If it is, I guess I just won't share anymore. <laughs> okay. Um, I had Kira, great glass spinner. Yay! I don't have that one on my list. She almost made it on there, though. <laughs> so it is a one colorless, two blue, uh, spirit, two two, flying. And creatures you control have whenever this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability for the first time each turn, counter that spell or ability. So you just include this into the Baral deck. (laughs) Right. With this, you're basically getting rid of a lot of things in your opponent's hand if they are targeting your creatures. They basically have to waste two target effects to get rid of it. Now, if they have a creature in play that taps the ping something or taps something down, then it becomes vulnerable and then they can spell remove it. Yeah. But they still have to delegate like two resources to deal with it, which is, that's a lot of resources to deal with. And that's any one creature you control as long as she's in play. Yep. Now, the only problem with her is, I think, that you can't target it either. So that means you're not Voltroning her up. And if you are, you're doing the risky game, because now you have to figure out a way to get an ability countered, and then put something on her, which makes her vulnerable, which somebody could take advantage of. hmm So it's kind of in that weird spot. She's a flyer, which is pretty big, but it's definitely something that's... It's a tricky build, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So... so... What you have for ten? Um, I have Neru Meha, Master Wizard. Okay. Two colors, blue and a blue, legendary creature, human wizard with flash. Three three. Uh, when Neru Meha, Neru Meha, Master Wizard enters battlefield. Copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new targets for the copy, and other wizards you control get plus one, plus one. These decks are kind of tricky sometimes. Huh? Wizard deck, huh? Yes. You could definitely play tribal wizards with, with her. And of course, you're running Sakashima... Spark mm-hmm. doubled, so you can get multiple copies of her. Uh, I think 
once you get like a spark double in play and then you you bounce Nehru back to your hand um well the things you you gotta do is like hold up like seven mana which is this is a wet dream of you have a spark double version where you crackling counterpart um her and then you you flash out the original copy it and then you make basically unlimited copies of this so then you have super small wizard army that boosted it each other that's a little scary <laughs> and of course you're running like the other like wizard important cards so you just include those into the deck uh, speaking of one of those, there's a card from Onslaught called Psychic Trance. It is two and two blue. It's an instant. Until end of turn, wizards you control gain tap counter target spell. Yep. And you, so and this deck hilarious. you also include Baral. Yeah, that's great. You include Baral and Baral we're all into this deck and freaky. All your wizards are now counter spells. Oh look, I'm just gonna counter your thing. Oh look, I get to draw a card and discard a card. <sighs> Blue decks have this really evil control theme now, don't they? Yeah, surprise, surprise. Uh well, I think this deck's pretty straightforward. It's another Spells Matters deck with also Wizard Tribal. Be careful. Don't don't flood it with one. Don't flood it with too many of one or the other. Yeah. You kind of have to find the perfect Zen amount. Gotta have the balance. Um, yep. There's another fun card from Onslaught is Nameless One. Its power and toughness are equal to the number of wizards in play. And it's flying, right? I believe so. No, it's not, actually. Oof. There's also Riptide Director. Um, a wizard creature. Pay four, tap, draw a card for each wizard you control. Yeah, that's really good. And then... But yeah, it's basically Wizard Tribal. It spells matters. There's tons of Wizard Tribal goodies oh, out yeah. there. You could <laughs> build a, a pretty effective one. You just have to be careful and include too many to get off of from her ability. Yeah. Because you do still want instants and sorceries. But Wizards work really well with those, generally, so... It's not hard to do, you just have to do it correctly and not focus too hard on one or the other. Yeah, I don't think it would be hard to find the balance with this type of tribal. Yeah. How many human wizards have we mentioned in this review today? I think a handful, actually, yeah. Uh... 
There are seven on my list. Uh, there's at least three, I think, on mine. I counted Orovar because it's technically both. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of in the same idea of what human wizards generally do anyway, so. And some sort of spells yeah. matter deck. That's true. So My last creature, though, is not a human or wizard. Amazing. <laughs> Whoa. It is, what is it? another like type of group hug in blue. I I just really like. It is Kami of Crescent Moon, and it is two blue, a spirit. It is a one three. At the beginning of each player's draw step, that player draws an additional card. That's pretty nice. It's just a little friend. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's a very it's a very nice friend. Um, I think this is one of those like unlike braids, um, I think this one sticks around more. Yeah. It's definitely more in line with uh just being nice to your opponents for once. <laughs> yeah, I mean you could still run control spells in your deck, but like True. Um, I think this deck is more like you're wanting to push for some sort of win con pretty quickly, and that's why you have the extra draw power. Yeah. So, I think that's where you, you go with it, and like, of course your opponents are drawing extra cards. So, you know, you could always be really nice with them and play Narsa of the, um... Oh, Narset. yeah. I think um, we better pull that one up because some of some people may not know what that one is, but I, I'm pretty sure with me saying Narset the way I did, I'm pretty sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But for those who don't know, Narset, Parter of Veils, one colorless, a blue and a blue, legendary planeswalker, Narset. Each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn. So, you play Kami turn two and let your opponents take one draw, and then you play Narset. And now they don't get the extra draw, but you do. Um, there's, there's a bunch of other effects that do this as well. If you want to be punishing that way, you can do that. But... I don't think people are going to like you if you do that to them. (laughs) Yeah. Because then you could also do something like Hole Breacher where it's just netting you mana for them doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty big include. Hey, look, Kayla, we almost went in a whole episode without talking about Hole Breacher in blue. Oh, no, we couldn't (laughs) couldn't resist it. Nope. Like, Hole Breacher is very good in this deck. Um, Got you just, new, yeah, those treasure tokens—they really add up. Yeah, like having that much extra mana can can be huge, and especially since you're drawing extra cards, like you're already pushing for some sort of for mid to late game win condition pretty fast. And mm-hmm. Hole Breacher just accelerates it even further. It's 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 like you're 
Uh, Kami's the engine, and like Hull Breacher's the gas. Yeah. That just turns the deck on faster. Mm-hmm. Because now, like with Kami in play with Hull Breacher, you, if they don't get rid of them, you go whole turn cycle. That is three mana without any of them doing anything. <laughs> That's huge. Yep. Three extra mana without really having to do much is a huge net game. Net gain. Ugh. I said game. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I think like this deck's pretty awesome. You could do it in a group hug fashion and then just be like, oh, nope, sorry, it's actually not group hug. And then everybody just looks stares at you. <laughs> so, how do you think about blue? We talked about white and how it had like this really hard Tron feel to it. What do you think about blue? Um... I also feel, again, very artifact-heavy, but also, of course, control with those instant and sorcery spells. It's either, like, spells matter, or it's, like, a Trani build, it feels like. Yeah. I don't think we're gonna have that Tron issue with black, though. Um... We could, but I think... Just like white, Tron was just one. It was either a it was either a Tron build or some big dumb creature was whites. Blue is some sort of like control or um or really a uh, artifact driven deck. It's either artifact driven or control deck was what blue seems to be. Yeah. So, like, Spells Matters kind of fits into that category of control, and then, like, all the artifact commanders we mentioned today. It's kind of interesting. Like, there was two, like, run-of-the-mill kind of, like, themes, kind of like White had. Maybe there is a drifting theme of the colors. I just didn't, didn't think there ever was one, but that's kind of interesting. I mean, it makes sense, like, you have the color identities there, so <laughs> they're going to be used. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to see these these colors have such like they're they're very diff- drastically different. I think in some ways, um, blue and white they're kind of allied colors, so them kind of sharing a theme makes sense since both of them have like these artifact driven pairs. Like some of the legends have this artifact theme that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes sense because they're they're in this field of you know we're sharing things. So maybe once we finish all five colors, maybe we'll like do the whole color circle and see like okay, well where so these ally colors where these overlap and see if that kind of fits a vibe because clearly. Yeah. Um, there is some diverse kind of effects, but I think there is some overlap for sure. And that's kind of something I just kind of am seeing with white and blue. Mm-hmm. 
So I think that's cool. I think that's very flavorful. Yeah. So, since you kind of spoiled it a little bit, I think next week we're going into Black, correct? Yep, I'm really excited for Black. Definitely my yeah, favorite she, she color. Yeah, she hates it. It's the worst colored <laughs> magic. Yep, I hate it. That's why I play it all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like you, you play it in standard or anything. Nope, not at all. I'll be curious to see what you include in, in that list. There's going to be some weird ones. They're not going to be... I don't feel like they're going to be the common ones, because I just... I love my weird black. Yeah. I mean, what's black without having some weirdness, right? Right. <laughs> so... I think I have only one, like, really odd one, I think, when I was looking at them, so. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that will do it for us today. I think this episode was longer than the last one. <laughs> Surprisingly. Well, I'm not really surprised. Um, if you remember back to our, like, second episode when we were talking about combos and stuff. And, like, the different uh, colors yeah. and how they fit into things. We talked about how blue is one of the biggest combo decks, generally. When blue is involved, there's usually some sort of big combo in play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and artifacts are another big combo thing. So you put combo and combo, and it's like a wombo combo. Ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> because uh. <laughs> you gotta tap and untap, which means you gotta spin to win, Kayla. Yep. <laughs> no, you don't say yeah. I know you know it's illegal. It is illegal, but it happened. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that should do it for us today. So, you want to close this out for today? Uh, yep. I hope you guys enjoyed our blue commander rundown this is made an edh uh this is kayla this is chris signing off you guys have a good day yeah we'll see you next time bye boy